0: Tell you, one of my favorite stories in the Bible shows up in Acts. Uh, there's a, a small character, his name is Philip, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And um, at one point, something magical happens to him. He's whisked away, and he shows up and he sees he's transported. I don't know what to say there. He finds himself in a place and there is a man in a chariot and the man is a eunuch. Which means he's been castrated and uh, is in the high service of, of a king. He's an Ethiopian eunuch so he's serving down in the land of Egypt and southern Egypt. And he's reading Isaiah 53. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, don't just stand there. Get over there. And then, uh, one of my favorite lines in the story is, Phil, it says, Philip ran. Philip ran up to the chariot and uh, said to the man, what are you, what are you reading? And he said, well, I, I'm reading this. I, I don't understand it. And the story goes on to say that uh, Philip climbs in the chariot and goes on to describe and work through uh, The scroll of Isaiah, so as to uh, illuminate uh, the mind and heart of the eunuch, who eventually says, interrupts the ride at some point and says, There's water. Why, Why shouldn't I just get baptized? And Philip baptizes him. Now, the story is great in its own right. except it takes a peculiar twist if you knew that the Old Testament says no eunuch may ever be part of the fellowship of God. Can't do it. Deuteronomy says no eunuch may ever be part of the assembly of God. Sometimes, like, once you start to learn the Bible, things take odd turns. I'll tell you another story that I really like. Um, The story of Ruth. It confounds my mind that the book of Ruth is in the Bible. It's just, let me say it this way. There's no way that this is the work of men and Ruth makes it. Ruth is just such a, Ruth was a Moabite. This woman, who much is made of in the word, she's in the lineage of David, she's in the lineage of Christ, she's in the first chapter of Matthew. She is exquisite as a person. and uh, But she's a Moabite. And the story is good in its own right, except for the fact that Deuteronomy says no Moabite may ever be part of the people of God. I'll tell you another story that I really like in the Bible. <laughs> I love the story of David. I love the story of King David. Not, uh, not all of the story. But I'm grateful that all of the stories of King David is in the Bible because some of that story is my story. Right? Like I love it's a way you know this book is not the book of men. Who would tell that story about their great king? Of him committing adultery? Of him responsible for murder? Of a good man? Him trying to hide it I lie. And at the same time, the Lord says, David, now David, that's a man after my own heart. I love that story. I love Psalm 51. I mean, David's confession is so rich and so good. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Cast me not from your presence. I mean, It's such a good story. It's a great story in its own right. But it has a twist in it when you know that in the law it says if you commit murder, the penalty is death, and you're out of the fellowship and if you commit adultery the penalty is death also in the law says things like for all sorts of intentional sins or unintentional sins you make a mistake and you find out it's sinful hey there's a sacrifice for it you make this mistake you find out it's sinful there's a sacrifice for it but there's a list of sins they call them high-handed sins in the old testament you do those things and you're out. You are out. I don't understand it. Some of those sins we have done. In... Uh, thinking back to Philip in the Ethiopian, they were reading Isaiah 53. That is the passage in Isaiah that speaks of the death of Christ, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. It's the description of his time on the cross. It's very, very prophetic. I mean, if Philip, on the off chance that Philip didn't even know the passage, if the eunuch had read the passage to Philip, Philip would have worshipped God and, and spoken back the truth of Christ. But, Isaiah came in a scroll. You didn't have Bible Gateway on your phone back then. So the eunuch wasn't reading like a daily bread with an excerpt of Isaiah. The eunuch was reading the scroll of Isaiah. And he's in the 53rd chapter. And Philip gets in. Now, what they they talked about, I don't know, but I know. I, I can't say that I know. It's not written. But... This is what happens. Isaiah 53 through 56 is just wildly prophetic about the Lord. It's wonderful. And you, I can just see Philip talking about the Lord and then going from Isaiah 53 to Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 54 to Isaiah 55. And then he we get to Isaiah 56. And this is how Isaiah 56 sounds. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation will come. Blessed is the man who does this. And the son of the man who holds it fast, who keeps my Sabbath, not profaning it, who keeps his hand from doing any evil. And then he says this. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For the Lord says to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who chooses the things that please me and holds fast to my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument in my name. What did God do? Just make an exception to the rule? Is that how it works? I can show you chapter and verse. It's got some rough language, so we're not going to read it. (laughs) Because eunuch is a rough idea. They can't be in. And then when you find, when you find the Lord starting to show his hand, you realize the Lord says, I've been waiting for you to come in. I can show you chapter and verse where the Moabite cannot be part of the fellowship. And yet, the Bible goes out of its way to describe that Ruth is a Moabitess. When they give the lineage of Jesus and Matthew, Matthew says, by the way, did you know that Ruth was a Moabitess? The Bible goes out of its way to let you know that David was a murderer. I'll give you another story that I love. Rahab. The Hebrew people are about to go into the land of Canaan and take it because their wickedness is is excessive. And so the Lord says, I'm going to entirely judge the land of Canaan. You will kill every Canaanite. And he sort of says, read my lips. None of them are to survive. Their wickedness is excessive, so much so that I have to stamp out them as a people. And then the very first narrative that we find when they cross the river is that Rahab, is the Canaanite, is saved. The story starts with the exception. I'll give you another story that I really, really like. Genesis chapter 3. Well, Genesis chapter 2, the Lord says to the man, you can eat from any fruit of the tree in the garden, but of one tree you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you should eat of that, you shall surely die. It says that. A page later, Adam and Eve are eating of the tree. Well, they didn't die that day. Maybe that's not what it meant. But I do know that Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me shall never die. When God is making a group of people, okay, when he's trying to describe, when God is trying to preserve himself and describe himself to humanity, he, he, he made a people, and he called this people Israel. He called them Jews. He called them the circumcised. That's the labels he uses for them. And and we'll see it here. We'll see it here in Romans. When he made them that way, he built around them rules and rituals and these sorts of things. These rules and rituals are there for the preservation of the nature so that the people can convey the nature and story of God through time to the world. But God's nature is not bound by those rules. God's nature is quite exceptional. It's quite longing for more people. There's a way that that the rules... If Israel is supposed to be the manifest expression of God's nature, that was the intent, you will be like me to the world then there's things that cannot exist in it. And those rules are established. But, but God is bigger than that and is trying at all times to reach people outside of that fellowship and bring them in. Look with me in Romans. This is, this is how Romans 15.8. I'm going to pick up in 15.8 and this is where I'd like us to be today. I want us to appreciate that we are his by exception. For I tell you, this is verse 8 and 9, but I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, you hear that? It says Christ came as a servant to the circumcised. Okay, that is the Jew. That is the inside crowd. That's the that is those who possess the story of God. Those who possess the promises of God. Those who are awaiting. Uh, by and large, you might even think at some level of us in that way of those who call God our own, who possess him. Paul is saying Christ came to those people, Okay, who at the time were the Jews, God came to the Jews so as to satisfy their longing in the promise. Right? There's an expectation in Israel of, of God. God has made promises to them about his salvation and his glory, And Jesus, Paul says, Christ came to the Jews to fulfill his promises. That's verse 8. God is a promise keeper. And God gave promises. And then you have verse 9. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. I thought he was the God of the Jews. Christ came to the Jew. Christ came to the, the person who is in the house of God. God came to him to satisfy his soul longing, to meet his hope, to justify himself before him. In, and in order that the person who is not here the person who is not of the people of God would correspondingly see God and glorify him for his mercy. That's what it's saying. It's saying that God came to the people of God, the consigned, circumscribed people of God who were were in the membership of God. They had their cards. They knew who they were. They had their customs. They had all of their rituals about about it he says god came to them to satisfy them and the corresponding idea is is that through their soul satisfaction through their life of them saying god is truly faithful to me that would be seen and responded to by the people around them the gentiles we have a a saying and just it's, we all say it maybe we don't but i think you're familiar with it someone says there's two kinds of people in the world you know, there's two kinds of people in the world. Those who, that's how the phrase goes, and the back half always changes. To, it's always caught me. Well, i was pretty sure there's more than two kinds of people in the world. <laughs> I mean, the phrase is wrong on the face of it, but we use it all the time. The phrase is not actually trying to say there are only two kinds of people in the world, because right in this room I could say there's, there's two kinds of people in this room, those wearing blue and those not wearing blue. There's two kinds of people in this room, those on the front row and those not on the front row. There's two kinds of people in this world, those who are women and those who aren't women. You could do that an infinite number of times and still just have two kinds of people. The purpose of this statement is to identify the in-group, to identify a crowd. In other words, there's two kinds of people in this room, those on the front row and everyone else. The circumcised, the Jew, the in crowd, you could say the, the, the Gentile is not a group of people. The phrase would be that there's two kinds of people in this world. There is, in this case, the people of God and everyone else. That's what Gentile means. It's not a group, it's everyone else. It's the other half of the two kinds of people statement. And God is saying, I came to satisfy you, believer, to soul satisfy you in order that through your great and joyous satisfaction in God, it might overflow. And the, those who are not here might see it. Know God and glorify him for his mercy. That's what he's saying here. Because he's exceptional. Because God God is not satisfied with a number. God is not simply trying to validate a group. God is trying to save mankind. God wants to grow his kingdom. Paul follows it up here. In, uh half of nine, ten eleven, and twelve with with arguments that are not they're not to our liking necessarily or they, they don't matter so much to us you know and I imagine if you're looking at it on the card for the first time and you're like oh that's what Romans fifteen looks like. this is not uh maybe the way that he might argue the case with you, but among his his listeners what he's doing he's quoting big lines from famous songs is what he's doing famous lines beat it and you know the song I'm done he's doing that okay so therefore i will praise you among the gentiles and sing your name that is that by the way is the last line of a famous song david is in battle it's a wonderful story in 2 Samuel. David is in battle, and it's, a, it is, it's with the Philistines. Saul has just died, so the kingdom has just fallen onto David's shoulders, and he's in battle with the Philistines. And it's actually in one of these moments in battle where he, David, falters. David runs out of steam in the heat of battle, and his own mighty men show up. And, and it gives accounts, by the way, of mighty men who take down other giants like Goliath. There, was, there were other great Philistine giants. And one by one, these mighty men show up and conquer them. And at the end of that battle, David writes a song. It's either Psalm 18 or it's Second Samuel 22. The song shows up in two places because it was the greatest hit. And in that song, it's praising the Lord for his deliverance. It's praising God for his might. It's praising God that he's faithful to his promises. That God saves them and God does what he's supposed to do for them. That God is reliable and mighty and strong. And it ends with this. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. Do you see that? When we are satisfied in our soul with God, it spills out to people who don't know God. Because there's two kinds of people in this world. Those who know him and those who don't. That's what it's saying here. That's what, that's what, that is the knee-jerk response of David. You are so great. I'm going to sing your name among other people. Verse 10. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That is the last line of a song of Moses, his last song before he died. He writes this long song to the Hebrew people right before they go into the promised land. And how does it end? It ends this way. Rejoice, O oh, not my people, with his people. Verse 11, praise the Lord, all you outsiders, right? all you not my peoples. Praise me. And let all peoples extol him. That is not the last line of a song. It's the first line of a song, but the song has two lines. It's the shortest psalm in the entire psalms. If you ever want to memorize the psalm, start at 117. It's two lines. It's this, and the second line is like, yes, do that. Okay? If it was a praise song, it would talk about monotony, right? That, that's, that's the whole psalm. Paul is going into the scriptures. Here, imagine a mind that has combed the Word of God and is on to this idea that God is not for us. God works through us for mankind. He's not ours. He's God. And he is growing his world. Verse 12 is Isaiah 11. That's a prophecy from one of the great prophets, Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 11 is a prophecy about the Messiah, the Christ, their Savior to come. It's, It's full. It's rich. And the moment it ends, the very next verse is, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the outsiders hope. We have strategies for growth in our church. You know, in one place we're looking to build an empty seat. In other places we're looking to firm up a plant. We have all, we can can have strategies all day long as to how to reach people. What God would let us know today is, I do not reach people with a strategy. I reach people by satisfying my people. It's a strategy. You and I are to be full of God. Full of Him. And when that happens, we will overflow. In exceptional ways to reach all sorts of people. This is the prayer. This is the prayer. This is our prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You see it? That's the hope. There's no strategy here. It's God's hope that he would fill you up with joy and peace in believing. In other words, make your faith secure. Make your faith stable. Make your belief, make yourself at home in your belief. Not like you hold on to it like I hope it's true, but you hold on to it because you know it's true. He's saying, may God do that for you. Why? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is our prayer. May God satisfy you. May the truth of God fill you with joy and peace. May you appreciate that God is real and he's personal. And you and I, we were not born into this society of church. We are adopted children. God has one natural born child. And all of us were not. We are here by exception. May we know that. May we know that and it would give us peace. And in doing so, it would overflow because God wants to grow his church. God wants to grow his kingdom. God's always looking beyond to bring the outsider in. Let me pray. And, uh, if you'll bow your heads, Lord. Let me, uh, Father, I'm going to try to attach words now that may be in people's hearts. Lord, we, we ask forgiveness as we come to you for religious structure taking the place of real faith. Lord, we ask forgiveness for times when we, you can't fill us with joy and peace and believing because we've not allotted space in ourselves to be filled. Our lives are full of other things. Our lives are full of things that don't bring joy and don't bring peace. Rather, we've filled our lives with things that bring stress and strife and war and violence. Lord, you need to clean us out. Father, well, I lift up people who just need to be cleaned out so that you, through your spirit, can fill us with joy and peace in believing, Lord. That's what I ask this, on behalf of our fellowship, on behalf of this church, that we would be a fellowship that is at peace in our faith. Not ashamed of our faith, not nervous about our faith not wavering in our faith, but at peace in our faith so that you can do exceptional things, Lord, that through the power of your spirit it might overflow abundantly onto others who do not yet know you, Lord, who are not yet in the family, who have probably heard that they can't come or can't be a member because of what they've done or because of who they think they are or because they just think they're outside of your love, Lord. May you let them know you are exceptional, and use our church to do that. I ask you use us to do that, Lord. Because we know you want to grow your kingdom, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.